say how proud I am of all of our graduates. It's a pretty impressive group of people to look at. And when you've been around as long as some of us have, being able to see some of the young people we have growing up and realizing that they've been raised in an environment that gives them different opportunities than so many of us were raised in. That really is our future. And I'm one of those people that is always thinking about where are we going from here and what's it going to look like. And over the last several months, we spent a lot of time as uh, leaders in the church and the movement trying to figure out not only where are we realistically right now, but where do we want to go from here? And we've had several meetings on that. We had one of them yesterday. And we had a young evangelist yesterday was sharing during one of those meetings, and he made a statement that just broke my heart. Because he has been raised in the kingdom, in the church, in the last 10, 12 years, and he said, I have never seen miracles. I've only heard about them from those of you that have been around a while. And I don't know how that hits you. But it really hit me. Because there's something about a generation losing the vision of what God is capable of. And so seeing young people that are graduating knowing that their whole future is ahead of them. Gives me hope. But we've got to really take some serious, hardline looks. Not only at where we're at, but what do we want to be? I'm not done yet. I'm not dead yet. God's not hopefully through with me yet. And I don't want to just be here. I don't want to just make it. I want to know that there are still great miracles that we can experience. Top of my lesson is with the help of our God. We're going to be talking a lot out of the book of Nehemiah. If you turn over to Nehemiah, I want to talk a little bit about the circumstances of the book of Nehemiah. When you think about the Israelites, you have to realize what it meant for them to be the most powerful people on the planet. And in a very real way, America, we, we kind of have that mindset that America is the most powerful nation in the world. And there's a, there's a cockiness, there's a confidence that comes with that. And it's interesting because in a very real sense that is true in a lot of ways today. But part of what created that is because our nation was founded on the principles in God we trust. Just like the Israelites, strength and power came from the fact that they put their trust, they put their lives in God's hands. And so in a very real way, they were untouchable until they began to stop considering God. And then what happened, as God always will, will let you choose what you're going to do. And those of you that are graduating, you're going to be making choices. You're going to make lifestyle choices about the kind of people that you want to be. I would encourage you, make those choices wisely. Because those choices have 
consequences that you may not be able to see at the time. For many of you, you've been raised in the church, and, and I know that being raised in the church, there's a part of you that just wants to see what else is out there. And I get that. That's what happened to the Israelites. They were in an insular environment where they grew up loving and worshiping God, and for them, there was also that little spirit of wanting to know what the other side is like. Somehow feeling like maybe we're missing out because we're not indulging in the things that so many people in the world indulge in. And as always happens, when we let our hearts and our minds go that direction, pretty soon we become more and more like the world. Because it's appealing. If it weren't appealing, nobody would go that direction. And so what ended up happening is God blessed Israel. Now, as a parent, there is nothing more difficult than watching your children grow up and choose to move off in a direction different than how you raised them. There's no pain in the world like that because it's almost a rejection of you. That, no, I don't want to be like that. And yet, we can try to control that. We can try to keep them in line. And God could do that to us. Have you ever thought about that? God could make you obey. You really think He isn't capable of doing that? I had someone say to me yesterday, they had some dominoes fall in their life. And it was just like a wake-up call. And they were trying to make sense of how all that was happening. They made one statement that I thought was really a clear thought. I think God's trying to get my attention. And God does that. He'll let you choose. And He'll let you lose. He will let you literally make a mockery of your life. He will let you suffer in ways you cannot even comprehend. He will let you live a life where you never have the security of knowing your spouse will stay faithful to you. He will let you live a life where you will never know if you can be honest with the people around you because you're afraid of what they might do with the information about you. God will let you choose that. Because God wants you to choose God the same way He chose you. We sang a song earlier in the service, Holy, Holy, Holy. It's one of my all-time favorite songs. Because it talks about God and the purity and the majesty and power of who He is. And yet in all of that, He will let us make our own Israel had done that. And the consequence for them was catastrophic. They had gone from being the most powerful nation in the world to being absolute dust. Treated like garbage, scorned, subhuman, literally could be treated like animals. And in the back of their minds, there was that chip on their shoulder 
that this isn't right. And anyone who's experienced any kind of racism or prejudice or subjugation, you know the feeling of that. That it's just not fair. And so for year after year after year, they were living with that bitterness. And they lost their hope in God and kept hoping in things in the world. And that didn't change the circumstances. Nehemiah chapter 6 is at a time after they began to wake up and realize where they had been and what they had done. And for so many of us, we look at the mistakes we've made in our life. And someone was talking earlier, Rich was in the communion, about that concept of guilt and how what Jesus did on the cross was meant to erase that from eternity. To take away that as if it had never occurred and to make us white as pure snow. To, to not have to be guilty about anything. To not have anything that you have to hide. What an amazing thing. And once the Israelites began to move back towards God, miracles began to happen. And in chapter 6 of Nehemiah, this is what I long for in our future. Verse 16. When all our enemies heard about this, Heard about what God is accomplishing in your life and in my life. When all of our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of the hand of God. What I long for is that no one in this room can say, we don't see any miracles. I want us to be able to look around, and I want parents to be able to look at their children and see them become a miracle before your eyes and to know that it wasn't because of genetics. It wasn't environmental. It wasn't because you took a parenting workshop. It was because God was there. I want children to be able to look at their parents instead of rejecting the way their parents think. I want them to embrace it and in their parents to see this is a miracle. Because all my friends at school have parents who indulge in behaviors and indulge their behaviors in ways that lead to self-destruction. But my parents stand firm. Not because they're disciplinary, but because they're disciples. And they know what's important. I want wives to wake up in the morning roll over and see that thing in bed next to him and not ask, how could this have happened to me? I want them to look at that person and I want them to see the presence of God. Our lives are meant to be the snapshot Take place in 
in the church, we look at things that have happened that have hurt us, and we feel like that's just not fair. That we were mistreated. How many of you have ever felt mistreated in the church? Okay, go ahead. Raise your hands. I know. You're wrong. You've never been treated as you deserve. Disgrace. The 
Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. They're saying things are not really going that well. When I listened to this young evangelist say yesterday, I've not ever seen a miracle like this. It gave me pause. And I started thinking, I, I'm grateful to be here in the region. And quite frankly, of all the regions in L.A., ours has done really well considering or comparatively. But is it a miracle? Do people come here and feel like they're witnessing a miracle? Or have we just gotten to the point where our expectations are so great that miracles are like Aesop's fables? Something that you read to children to give them hope of something that will never take place. That's what Nehemiah began to realize that, man, where we're at, this can't be what God created us to live like. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, O oh Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, holy, 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 who keeps His covenant of love with those who love Him and obey His commands. Let your ear be attentive, your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We've acted very wickedly towards you. We've not obeyed the commands and decrees and laws that you gave your servant Moses. It is simply literally saying, God, let me step back and take a look at where am I really? Am I really living out that spirit of being willing to go anywhere and do anything, to give up everything? Am I really living an existence that says my sole function in life is to seek and save the lost, is to share my faith? Or have I forgotten the miracles that happen when you find that one nugget that is so open, they just want to hear the truth? Nehemiah's conclusion was, I'm not, nor are we where we need to be. And you can say, wow, that's a downer. Depends on your perspective. Because see, if we recognize where we're at, then we got a choice. Where are we going to be? Graduates, take a clear, clear look at where you're at. And be honest. And then really consider what do I want the outcome of my life to be? And make a choice. But the second thing you see in this story is that no matter how far we are, no matter where we're at, no matter what junk is going on in our life, no matter how blase we are, oh, I'm just not inspired. I'm just not motivated. No matter where you are, God is gracious. Literally, the expression that Rich was talking about 
chapter 1, verse 8. Remember, this is Nehemiah reminding God, which is a pretty bold thing to do. But he's beginning to grasp how amazing God is that you and I can approach God this way. Remember the instruction we gave your servant Moses, saying, if you are faithful, I, if you are unfaithful, well, we're living proof of that. But, if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon to let no matter where, no matter what, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place that I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Talk about grace. You see, being a disciple, being in the ministry is not about deserving. Because you will never deserve except to be judged. It's about the extent of God's ability to extend grace. When no matter how far we are away from Him, 
start realizing the direction to move towards, then miracles can begin to happen. I still see miracles. I see miracles in this room. Summer's a miracle to me. Out of the ashes of devastating, painful, and personal loss, Summer's here. And she's looking for God. She's looking for ways to see God. The loss of a spouse. It's like losing yourself. So marriage is a miracle to me. When we first met Samara, it was at a block party, and we couldn't even really communicate because she didn't speak English for me. And my Spanish is pretty rusty. But through the circumstances of her life, she got into a situation where she was abandoned. And it was awful. Her children are with her. And watching that was awful to see. But what it did is it made her stop and take a look at the choices. And I see where she's at now. And all of her children are sitting in church. So there's a miracle. See, Rudy, one of my best friends, and I've seen him walk through the valley of darkness. I've seen the pain that it caused his old family and remember the discussions that we had and, and how the consequences of those choices, they have ripple effects. You see, it doesn't happen overnight when miracles are happening all around us. And God wants us to believe in miracles because He wants us to choose. And He wants those choices to lead us in the direction of God, not in the direction away. And third and finally, I want you to believe God is powerful. There is nothing God cannot do. Verse 10, chapter 1. They are your servants and your people who you redeem by your great strength and your mighty hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant. What happens when you and I, like Nehemiah, recognize where we are, get broken and humble, take responsibility, turn back toward God? and begin to cry out with everything we are. For your servants who delight in revering your name, give your servants success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man I was cupbearer to the king. Nehemiah has gotten to a point where he knows that if he really believes in God, then he's got a choice that could cost him everything. He's about to go to the king and explain to the king 
the circumstances that Nehemiah sees. And there was a law in the land that you could not be sad in the presence of the king. That anyone who came into the king's chambers and wasn't just all full of good news and candy canes and kisses would be put to death. It was a death penalty situation. To acknowledge any problem. And it took Nehemiah months to get the courage to walk in and to approach the king. And once he did, God moved miraculously. Not only was he not executed, everything the Israelites would ever need was given to him. Not as at the Air Force Academy. I believe it was my second or third year, I don't remember. We had a janitor named William Crawford whose sole purpose was to keep the latrine clean because you couldn't expect cadets to clean their own latrines. And so I was in this elite institution with 8,000 other cocky kids that really were incredibly aggressive and they had the world to capture. And somehow, this quiet little man, the toilet cleaner, just went unnoticed. Nobody ever stopped to talk to him. Nobody ever asked, how's your day? He literally flew under everyone's radar. Until sometime in 1983, one of the senior cadets getting ready to graduate was doing research for a paper on World War II. And he came across an article about a young private who, with his platoon, two platoons, had been pinned down by the Germans. And the Germans had machine gun nests and high placement, and they were literally slaughtering these American troops. And this young private, fresh off the boat, nothing special about him, just got so scared watching everybody die that he felt like he had to do something. And so he got up, picked up his rifle, and charged through the machine gun fire. And using that rifle and hand grenades, took out that machine gun nest and killed all the German soldiers. The other nest recognized what happened here and began opening fire on him. And so they all located their entire barrage of attack on this one private. And so he left the safety of that nest he had just captured, ran directly into the other nest and took it out too. One man, nobody, entire platoons. In the confusion that came, it was concluded that he'd been killed. But in reality, he'd been captured by Germans and had been taken to a POW camp. But news of his exploits reached the high command. And the decision was made to award him 
most earnestly the Medal of Honor. And so they brought his father to the White House, and they gave the citation to his father. And two years later, as the war ended, he was liberated, and they realized he was alive. And as he was reading the article, he recognized the face. And it looked a lot like Mr. Stockwell. So he pulled him aside, and he read him the story. And he asked him, Mr. Crawford, is this you? And here was this janitor's response. Yep, that's me. He asked, why didn't you ever say anything? He said, that was one day in my life, and it happened a long time ago. And he continued his lamented prayers. The moment people saw what could happen in a janitor, he took on a whole new respect. And all of a sudden, everybody wanted to talk to Mr. Crawford. 1984, Ronald Reagan was speaking at the commencement address at the Air Force Academy, and Mr. Crawford was finally able to receive his own citation for the Medal of Honor. Here's my point. Someone that nobody notices and someone that sees no value in them. And the right circumstance with the right help can become someone that a nation looks to for inspiration. You and I are here for a purpose. We're not here for the past. We're here for the future. And that future is meant to literally be that when someone sees us, they will never have to say, I don't see any miracles in your life. Because in you and in me, when we turn to God and with the help of God, we can become the hope for a whole world. Thank you very much.